everybody, and welcome to today's episode. I am joined by a very special guest, Mr. Chris Larson, the co-founder, former CEO, and current executive chairman of Ripple. Mr. Larson is considered by many in the cryptocurrency world as one of the most knowledgeable and accomplished early pioneers. Mr. Larson is most known as a serial entrepreneur founding three successful companies in the Bay Area from Elon in 1996, Prosper Marketplace in 2006, and eventually Ripple Labs in 2012, all with successful outcomes. His most known company, Ripple Labs, is an enterprise software company using crypto and blockchain technologies, specifically the digital asset XRP, to facilitate value transfer around the world. XRP is a public cryptocurrency native to the XRP ledger. Furthermore, Ripple Labs was named one of the 50 smartest companies in the world by MIT Technology Review. On today's episode, we will be learning how Mr. Larson created Ripple and his two other companies, the entrepreneurial spirit, the basics of cryptocurrency, his thoughts on Dogecoin and Bitcoin, and his advice for young entrepreneurs. I am thrilled to have him on the show. I hope you guys are too. So without further ado, let's get started. Mr. Larson, welcome and thank you for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much, Logan. I really appreciate you having me here today. Of course. Uh, now, before we dive deeper into your Ripple Labs career and the topic of cryptocurrency, I'd like to discuss your early career in business. So I'd love to learn how you started your career in business and how did that eventually lead to the creation of your company's Elon, Prosper Marketplace, and Ripple? Yeah, well, uh, boy, it kind of actually goes back to, I guess I was like 15 and I was actually uh, working on uh, auto uh, auto repair, you know, sort of taking in cars from neighbors and repairing the dents in them and sort of painting them and that, and that sort of thing. So that was my first sort of uh, independent business, if you will. And I kind of like that. I like the fact that you kind of make your own, you know, hours, uh, you know, you sort of, you 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 live or die by, you know, how much work uh, you do to earn, earn that money. Um, sometimes you don't get paid because customers sort of flee on you. Um, you know, you got to do good work. Uh, so that was probably my first kind of introduction to, you know, kind of running my own business. And then uh, coming out of uh, business school, so I'd worked for a couple of companies, uh, you know, uh, from that, you know, kind of point of uh, getting out of undergrad, um, which was good experience, but, uh, you know, I kind of didn't take to it. I, don't, I didn't really like having a boss, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, and it just seemed like that was going to uh, lead to uh, unhappiness at you know, some point, even if you kind of worked your way up the corporate ladder. And it works for some really fine companies, uh, including Chevron. It was a, you know, one of the big oil companies and got to travel a ton. But uh, coming out of uh, business school, a couple of key, um, you know, kind of mentors just said, just said the right sentence at the right time. And, and uh, for example, uh, uh, Jim Collins, his guy, you know, wrote the famous books, uh, Built to Last, Good to Great, just a fantastic guy. He was my professor at Stanford. And I remember uh, it was like the final class of, uh, uh, of our term there at Stanford. And, and he said, you know, to the whole class, he said, look, you guys have a zero risk profile here. You know, you can get a job anytime. And he said, cut, you know, cut the lifeboats. And he said it very emotionally, right? Um, because most people come out of, uh, you know, business schools, uh, they want to get jobs at consulting companies, investment bankers, and that sort of thing. He's back then. And so he's just pleading with us, like cut the lifeboats. You have no, you know, you have no risk here. Um, and that kind of really stuck. Uh, and then there was a couple other people that also said, and, and, you know, this is true in life, right? Sometimes it just takes like 
one sentence, one sentence at one key moment uh, for you to kind of realize that, okay, that makes sense and, and change and change your life. And that changed my life. And then uh, right after that, then I started uh, my own business, which uh, eventually became eLoan. That was sort of at the dawn of the internet. Um, and, you know, scary. You know, you don't sleep for the first year, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it was, uh, you don't remember the bad stuff. That's, that's the key yeah. thing uh, starting business. Remember the good things? Yeah. So now, obviously, most people know are know you mostly from your company, Ripple. Uh, but let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you created your first company, Elon. Now, I am curious how you came up with the idea of creating your company, Elon, and what was its business model? Yeah, so, uh, you know, kind of what motivated us was, um, you know, well, I, I had a bad experience when I bought my first house and financing it. Felt like we were just completely ripped off. Um, and that was very true in, you know, in, in the finance business, you know, particularly in the retail finance business, whether uh, it be mortgages or uh, kind of auto loans are the most notorious, right? Um, there's this kind of saying in the industry, in confusion, there's profit. So basically, if you're a, a loan broker and you can confuse your, your, your customer into thinking they you know, can't get as good a loan as they, as they otherwise could, I mean, you can make a ton of money, right? If you can shave a quarter percent off of a, of a mortgage loan, that uh, translates into, you know, many, many points uh, that go to the broker. Um, so that's a, that's a bad business, right? So, you know, you would think they're there to represent you, uh, to work in your own interest like a doctor or a lawyer would. But in fact, so much of the industry was built around this sort of tricking you and making you feel like you're down on your knees and, you know, sort of, mother, may I have this loan? Um, it's just an awful, that's an awful feeling, right? Especially in a high tense transaction like buying a house or buying a car. Um, so what we set out to do was kind of build a Charles Schwab of lending. You know, Schwab was obviously at that point super successful and being a discount broker, but not just a discount broker. The core values of Schwab were always awesome, still are. That's still a great company to look up to, aspire to. Uh, and I came from their founder um, of, of not just low prices, but treating people with respect and being transparent and showing how the whole thing works and where all the fees are. So we thought, hey, we could do that with lending. And of course, we were lucky because that was right at the, the dawn of the internet. We actually started um, really before uh, the, you know, the idea of the internet really started uh, cooking. You know, this goes back to like 90, what, 93, right? Internet was just going, right? Dot really, com. Yeah, right. But you didn't really have it in finance until about 96, 97. And that was a key moment when E-Trade, I remember there used to be a phone discount broker. Yeah. And they were sort of the first to jump into really online. Nobody, you know, back then people thought, oh, there's no way people would do finance online. Forget about it. That's way too personal. Um, and once they jumped out and became E-Trade online, that broke everything free. And then the venture capitalists, started where they would actually take your meetings uh, if you had an idea of you know finance online but before that nobody would ever uh, they would think you're you're completely crazy um so it started out kind of as a schwab for lending even before we went online just doing a better job of presenting things databases and showing it like a sophisticated product rather than a used car and then the internet came along with the e-trade announcement and uh, we pivoted to building a website. Uh, and then we went out to our first VCs. It was you know, awful experience of getting mostly the door shut in your face, but 
Um, Benchmark Capital took a risk on us, you know, way early in uh, 97. Uh, and then uh, kind of a quick succession of things happened. We were able to get the key Yahoo. Remember back in the day, Yahoo was everything online, right? It was like Google is today. Um, and we were able to get the key Yahoo, or Yahoo deal for uh, mortgage lending. It was like a $5 million deal we had to, we had to pay. But that changed, you know, it changed everything. I remember coming out of Yahoo's headquarters, high five and our, our team member. And, uh, and then it was just a blur. Things just really just started racing from there. It was, it was pretty fun. That's great. Um, you just mentioned how you kind of got turned down when you were first proposing your idea of e-loan to venture capitalists. Now, obviously, there are pros and cons to being entrepreneurs like yourself. Entrepreneurs are faced with difficulties along their road to success every single day. So for you, what was the greatest challenge at e-loan when you were starting your business and growing it? Well, the biggest challenge is we didn't have any money, right? So we financed everything with our credit cards. So it was two, uh, two co-founders, myself and Janina Poblowski, uh, who was also really experienced in the business. Um, but we, we didn't have a lot of money and we you know, maxed out our credit cards. And, and then, you know, you start building and you start hiring and, uh, you know, you start looking at your balance sheet and you've got like, you know, two months of runway before you have to start laying off people or closing up shop. And you're getting the you know door slammed in your face with you know you're doing all these pitches, um, and here's the thing that happens you know if you get a bad venture capitalist they actually see you're bleeding money and you're running out of runway and it's like yeah okay we're we're interested you know but you know we're gonna need some more time here, and I you know again um, there's some bad people in that industry some phenomenal people, um, but I felt we, we were getting taken advantage of by a couple of players who are going to bridge us, you know, money, you know, which means they haven't really signed up yet, but Hey, we'll kind of lend you some money. And then, but you know, when we fund you, then we want like a 20% discount on the valuation. <clears throat> and that was super stressful. But again, we got saved by a friend of mine who knew somebody at Benchmark. I think it was on the eBay board um, or presenting at the eBay board where Benchmark was an early investor maybe killing on that. Uh, and then Bob Cagle had heard, oh, um, about what we were doing, that we were, you know, kind of about to take a, a bad deal. He came over, looked us in the eyes, you know, kind of sized us up and, you know, within like a day or two made a commitment, all handshake, totally came through, saved the companies, you know, saved what would otherwise have been a terrible deal. And, uh, you know, I still see him, you know, I see him at uh, Warriors games, right? Oh, yeah, and, yeah across there and it's like you know love that guy forever right so yeah. again they're just great vcs that they, they watch out for the entrepreneurs and other vcs that you know they just want to you know break it all down and take over and run the whole thing so you got to be careful but again when you run out of money sometimes you really don't have much of a choice so yeah. it's a, yeah again really stressful the good news again is you know when you look back you don't remember any of the pain of that all you remember is the good stuff so uh you know it does work out Great. Now, you know, we often hear of this idea, the entrepreneurial spirit, never giving up on your idea, even when times are hard, pushing through the lows so the highs can be better. To any young entrepreneur out there, what's your advice to them when starting a business? And what traits do you believe make a successful entrepreneur? Yeah, well, uh, you have to be willing to take a lot of stress. Um, so look, if, if you're the kind of person, and look, there's nothing against this, right? It's just how, the way you're wired. If you're the kind of person that's just like your health is going to deteriorate because of the stress you're going to take and you know, you're going to wreck your family life and, you know, don't do it, right? 
But, uh, but that said, you know, you, we as humans, we can take a lot of stress and starting a business isn't like going to war. It's not like going to lose an arm or something or die. Um, so, and especially if you're young, again, we're blessed to be living in a country and specifically out here on the West Coast where failure is a badge of honor. You know, I, I, I frankly think that's what makes Silicon Valley so successful. The idea that failure is, yeah, okay, that happens. And, and if you fail, you're stronger the next time. VCs here actually look at it that way. And I can't tell you how valuable that is. Lots of parts of the world, failure is considered a humiliation, right, that you don't recover from. So we're really lucky out here. So um, don't worry about failing. You know, actually embrace failing. And if you fail, fail gracefully, right? Don't get angry. Don't burn bridges. Fail gracefully and then pick it up and do it again. Tons of people here that are incredibly successful have failed many times, um, myself included. Um, so that's one thing. I think the other thing is um, there's this weird thing you got to get around in your head of certainly listening and being thoughtful about your market and what's going on. So then that way you have to be sort of pragmatic and you have to be very data driven and calculating. You can't be, you know, ignoring everything. But at the same time, you have to sort of ignore, I would say, ignore advice from people you respect. Because look, in any new business, if it was so easy, um, well, it would, you know, the opportunities would have been closed. You know, back in 2012, if you talk about cryptocurrencies, most people would say like, oh, okay, that's interesting, but it sounds like some kind of, you know, science fiction movie, but don't do that. Come on. You know, there's better things to be doing. It's never going to work. That's crazy. You know, and, and it's actually, it's not even like a put down. The, the worst of it is like somebody you really, you know, you respect, you're smart. Um, and they'll have that way of kind of very logically telling you all the reasons why it's not going to work. And, and I think that as an entrepreneur, you have to sort of take it in and then just, okay, very good. And then just forget about it and keep moving on. Uh, and that's a tricky thing to do. Um, and again, I think that's why in the Bay Area that helps entrepreneurs because uh, I think people here tend to hear an idea and they tend to cheer you on, right? Instead of really tearing you apart. I, mean, I always think of like the East Coast is, you know, people hear a crazy idea and it's like, uh, you're an idiot, you know, they'll, they'll just rip in the uh, same in Europe too. It's, it's a problem. And, and out here, you're likely to get kind of encouragement. Uh, and it's important to surround yourself with people that are going to encourage you once you know that what you're doing is the right thing. And you do have to have that conviction. You can't be going into something unsure. Uh, remember, everybody on your team, all your investors, all your future customers, the press, everybody's looking to you. And you can't ever show any weakness about what you're doing. You know, it's, it, this, is coming, this is coming from your spirit. So uh, you, you almost, it's a combination of being rational, but also almost completely uh, irrational and almost, um, uh, you know, kind of separated from reality in a way. It's a, it's a funny dynamic, right? Yeah. No, I, 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 to- yeah, I totally get that. And I think, I think what you're basically saying is right. You got to have a vision. You got to stick to your vision, no matter you know, even if the most respected people or people that maybe you don't respect say something negative or they provide, you know, constructive criticism, as they say, you got to stick to your vision and keep pursuing what you believe is the right thing and the right thing that will eventually pay off in the end. 
Yeah, that, no, that's exactly right. And it also does help. In my case, I had a lot of anger. I, you know, I, I kind of bottled up anger at uh, I can relate. I can relate. Yeah, you know what I mean? So try to funnel that. Uh, so having a rival or an enemy is actually quite good. You, you mentioned like people you don't like putting it down. That's actually good. That always motivated me because then I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, and in the lending business, there was lots of targets. It was target rich, right? So kind of these corrupt, uh, you know, loan brokers or, yeah. you know, the used car salesperson trying to sell you an expensive loan. Um, that helps a lot. So if you have that natural angle, channel that. If you have some other competitive drive, channel that. Um, but I think everybody has something that they can kind of latch on to and try to, uh, you know, anger can also tear you apart, right? Lead to bad things and burn bridges. Don't do that, right? Try to, try to channel it constructively. And I think try to find whatever it is that you have to channel to, you know, make your mission more successful. Got it. Great. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about your most recent company, uh, Ripple. For those who are unfamiliar with your company, could you get us, uh, give our audience a broad overview as to what is Ripple and how did you come up with the idea to start it? Yeah, so what Ripple, Ripple is focused on uh, the enterprise space, and that simply means is that we are serving businesses rather than consumers. Um, and that's, a, that's kind of an important lesson, too. I think when I first started, everything I did had to be something I knew, like, consumer stuff, right? But in fact, you have to kind of look, the consumer business is almost like on the surface of the ocean. And then the, the, the business to business, you know, sector or enterprise, it's everything below the surface, which is actually bigger. And I think that's, that's true. You have more opportunity in enterprise. So um, I think important, look at all those enterprise opportunities. But we're, we're enterprise blockchain, rather, you know, we're not trying to be a Coinbase. No, we love Coinbase, but we're, we're not trying to be that, um, which is dealing with customers. Our view is that blockchain will accelerate more rapidly if we can integrate blockchains, technology, cryptocurrency technologies into existing financial institutions, banks, wallet providers, fintechs all over the world, because they already have hundreds of millions, if not billions of customers, right? So we don't have to, we don't have to do all the work of gathering customers, which really isn't, um, that's nothing new, right? The, the activity of getting customers in fintech, or old, it's all the same stuff. Yeah. So we we want to focus on what's new here. What's new in blockchain and cryptocurrencies is that for the first time, you can sort of have a trust that value exists without a counterparty uh, or issuer. Uh, and that's a completely new thing, right? And what our product is, so that's the, the big technology change in cryptocurrency and, and, and blockchain. The product that we built to take advantage of that new change is something called RippleNet and ODL, which is online uh, or sort of on-demand uh, liquidity. Uh, so basically what we're trying to do there is rewire uh, the world system of cross-border payments, which is an area we think is the, the most in need of change. And those are antiquated technologies before blockchain that go back to the 1970s. And I don't know how, if, uh, how many of your listeners are familiar with it, but if anybody's tried to send money to you know, from the U.S. to Europe or U.S. US to Mexico or U.S. to the Philippines, you know, it, it can take 10 days sometimes for money to, to transfer. It, uh, or you're dealing with somebody who's taking that risk and charging a ton of money. Um, and that's just, that's crazy in, 20, in the year 2021, right? Money should move like data does on the internet in seconds at basically zero cost and with open access to everybody on, on, on the planet. Uh, and in today's world, it's costing way too much, way too slow, and it's actually leaving out 
you know, billions of people from participating in the global economy. So, so that's really what we're trying to do here. Um, and blockchain and crypto is a fundamental change in the way that value moves around the world. You can think of it as um, it's the equivalent of moving data, but now it's value. And value is fundamentally different than data, right? Because, you know, data doesn't matter if you copy it a billion times, doesn't matter, right? You still communicate it. But with value, it can only be sent once and spent once. And that was until Bitcoin came along, nobody had known how to move value. Um, without having some counterparty making sure that it wasn't spent twice. Um, and, and that's as simple as that. That's a huge breakthrough in the way that value moves around the world. Got it. Now, um, I'd like to transition to discuss the basics of cryptocurrency and your thoughts on recent cryptocurrency markets in today's economy. So to start it off, cryptocurrency is one of the hottest technology trends today and has gained popularity in the last few years. You have successful businessmen like Mark Cuban, Paul Tudor Jones, and Elon Musk, all obsessed with different cryptocurrencies. And obviously, you got involved in cryptocurrencies uh, when it started you know, becoming popular. So do you mind talking a little bit how you got into cryptocurrencies? Yeah, it actually goes back even uh, before there was a Bitcoin. You know, there, there have been you know, many attempts at, at this idea of non-state currencies, right? So I think that back on... Uh, Remember, Second Life had a currency built into it, Linden Dollars, right? Uh, uh, centralized within that gaming platform. But nonetheless, it allowed this whole kind of banking industry to, to be built within this virtual world, right? Now, it didn't work, um, but it was a that was way before Bitcoin. It was super interesting. So we were always watching that. And there's things like uh, uh, Vermont Dollars, kind of local currencies. There was a bunch of these in Germany. They had a bunch of these local currencies. Really interesting um, if you remember beans and floors in the first dot-com boom, sort of currencies, sort of coupons, but nonetheless, really interesting. So something's been brewing here for a long time. Bitcoin clearly blew the roof off of it because it was a fundamentally different thing. But the idea of kind of an online global currency um, had really been in the back of our minds for a long time. And we've been sort of watching. Um, we saw Bitcoin came along and myself and there's three others uh, David Schwartz, Arthur Bredo, Jed McCaleb, and Jed McCaleb was kind of the guy behind one of the core technologies. Um, David Schwartz uh, also kind of contributed some really key stuff around distributed exchanges. Uh, and then Ryan Fuger, he's another individual who started the, the first Ripple project actually as a nonprofit. But, you know, all of those things were sort of premised on a better version of Bitcoin. So Bitcoin's fascinating, brilliant. But it's got some fundamental problems, one of which is the system it uses for consensus is way too energy consumptive. Uh, and whether it's green energy or dirty energy, it just shouldn't work that way. You don't need to use energy to, uh, to have a consensus in a distributed system that would make sure you didn't have a double spend. You just don't need it. There's other ways of doing it. And, and that's kind of what we set out to do was loved Bitcoin, but we thought that there was a better way of doing it that didn't use a lot of energy that was then therefore much faster. Bitcoin is at least 10 minutes, sometimes an hour or longer. XRP Ledger is three seconds, um, much lower cost. Some of the fees now in Bitcoin can be crazy per transaction, right? 20 bucks. I mean, it varies all over the place, but you can't have that. If the internet had fees like that, it never would have it never would have got the ground, right? So, oh yeah, for sure. Didn't you know that didn't make a lot of sense? Um, 
And then also the throughput, you know, with seven transactions per second, is just way too slow. Uh, you know, uh, Ripple's uh, transaction flow through thousand transactions. Obviously, you need way more than that to serve the world. Um, and most of the transactions will be off ledger, but you always have to settle back to the ledger at some point. So the ledger with the highest throughput is going to have the lowest cost of settlement back to the ledger, even if most of the transactions are off ledger. So that's a really important concept. So all of those things were fundamental uh, improvements. Uh, and uh, that's what we set out to do. And, and uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a lot of fun. That's how, that's how it started. Now, obviously, the industry has grown up a lot. Uh, as you as you mentioned, that's great. Now you know, for many of our audience who are not familiar with cryptocurrencies, you hear that word cryptocurrency, you think, what is crypto? And then obviously, you know, currencies type of currency, which is money. Can you explain in a simplified manner what cryptocurrencies are and what are its benefits or competitive advantage? Yeah. So um, you know, you're absolutely right. These things are currencies. Right. So, and what is a currency? A currency is uh, a medium of exchange. And that's an important concept, right? So, a medium of exchange has to be something everybody can exchange, right? Otherwise, it's not a medium of exchange. So, you know, there's a lot of debate uh, right now in the industry about when is something a currency, when is something a security. Well, a security can never be a currency because the security is limited only to broker dealers like Charles Schwab, for example. Well, if that's the case, it's not a currency because it cannot be a medium of exchange because it's only the broker dealer, at least in the US, can be the person exchanging the value. So that breaks the idea that that would be a currency. A currency, on the other hand, can be held by anybody, can be exchanged by anybody, and therefore is a medium of exchange. Just like any of us can hold a dollar bill in our hand and we can give it to somebody else, we've exchanged value. Anybody can do that. You don't have to have a special hand, right? Um, so that's a really important concept. Uh, store of value is generally another concept around whether something's a currency. And I think all the cryptocurrencies have that element. All that means is that some person can decide that this thing I'm holding is going to hold value better than vis-a-vis -vis some other thing. Um, so if you believe uh, that the cryptocurrency you're holding is going to hold its value better than the U.S. dollar or... Uh, you know, the, the, the Turkish lira, for example, which has been hit pretty hard lately. Um, you know, that's, you are exercising your belief in it, it is a store of value, uh, whether or not it does that or not. But that's, that's all that means, right? Um, so that's an important concept. And then obviously there's some characteristics it has, it has to have. Every uh, currency uh, unit has to be exactly the same. So and then that's called something that's fungible. Uh, and again, that's not the case in other things, right? Yeah. Um, so a commodity, for example, isn't necessarily fungible, right? Uh, a, um, a security isn't necessarily fungible. Um, food, uh, one banana is the same as another banana, right? So, so currency, everything has to be the same. And then it has to be uh, divisible. You can break it down. Uh, so you're not stuck with, oh, here's an ounce of gold. Uh, I don't know what to do with it. I can't, you know, I have to sod little pieces or something, I, you know. So that's, that's also an important concept. Um, and then the crypto part, all that really signifies is that there is no counterparty and no issuer, uh, unlike a US dollar or a, a, a euro, which would be backed by either the ECB or by the Federal Reserve. Um, and, you know, so the crypto just refers to 
the cryptographic method that's used to uh, you know, um, gain consensus around what is the current state of the ledger, simply meaning who owns what. And if there's a new transaction a second ago, now what's the state? And in fact, so that's what the XRP ledger does, right? It's just constantly saying, okay, here's the state. Oh, three seconds has gone by and a bunch of transactions happened. Now what's the state? And can you get uh, a consensus, you know, from 80% of the validators that says, oh, we agree that this is the new state. And if there's a validator that says, no, I don't agree with that. Well, you're out. You can fork to a different network. But that's that's really all it means. Um, but that is actually quite powerful because that means uh, there isn't a issuer or counterparty uh, that um, creates risk in a system that could, uh, you know, trick you or uh, be some kind of a fraudulent, you know, human thing that happened. Um, so that ends up being quite powerful. So could you say cryptocurrency is like virtual money since it's not a physical asset like a fiat, like the US dollar, which is backed by the government? Could you say it's virtual money in a more like easy manner? You know, because obviously crypto or any type of cryptocurrency has is a part of some code, right? And that's stored on blockchains. But you could basically say it would be considered virtual money to maybe not cryptocurrency experts. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting on these definitions. Um, you know, for example, the U.S. Treasury has has called these, uh, you know, virtual convertible currencies, right? So that is an accurate description of, you know, the Bitcoins, XRP, Ethereum, for example. Uh, virtual, I think, is used in, to your point that it wasn't uh, it wasn't fiat. However, it's important to note that most fiat is actually virtual. As well, like ninety was a ninety-seven percent of all dollars are just digital, right? Yeah. They, only, they only exist as physical dollars. A very small portion of all the uh, liquidity out there is is actually cash, right? So almost all of our value systems are already, even though we all have these central bank uh, digital currencies, most of it's already digital um, when you when you're transferring value. Um, uh, so, but, uh, you know, again, uh, the distinction I think is simply, um, and this is an important distinction as well. The U.S. dollar is powerful because uh, the tax authorities have said you can settle your debts and you pay your taxes in dollars. You can't, you can't settle your debts uh, and, and your dollars legally in the U.S. with Bitcoin, Ethereum, or XRP. That would be and cool, that- though. It would be cool. And that's quite important. Now, there's a couple of countries that have had El Salvador recently said you can settle your El Salvadorian debts and pay your taxes in Bitcoin. It's interesting. Um, you know, uh, we'll have to see if others follow. But uh, that ends up being a really important distinction because then it's really hard to get paid your wages in a cryptocurrency if you then have to pay your taxes in the fiat currency because they're volatile. So what happens? You get paid, uh, you know, $100 worth of crypto. Let's say it's uh, uh, cut in half by the time you pay your taxes, but you're paying it on the amount you received. You're not going to be very happy about that, right? So that's in yeah. fact why most early days of crypto, a lot of people were talking, oh, I want to get paid in crypto. Not very many people get paid in crypto when they work yeah. for a because of that. Well, uh, just as a clarifying question, can like Bitcoin or any type of cryptocurrency, can it be turned into straight cash like dollars, yen or pounds, for example? Well, you're raising a great point. So I think the value 
And I'm using value as different than price. Value, how valuable is something to the world, right? The U.S. dollar is incredibly, is the most valuable fiat currency to the world, um, regardless of what its price might be vis-a-vis some other other currency, right? Um, But um, uh, you can convert, of course, if there is liquidity in uh, these currency pairs, Two dollars, or, or 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 yen, or uh, or euro, uh, or you'd hope to with the renminbi, but there's a lot of restrictions on that in China. China has taken a very hostile uh, kind of view on on crypto, so it's probably unlikely you can sort of legally convert to that currency. But I think the key point is all of these cryptocurrencies are probably valuable to the world, again, different than price. Um, the more liquid they are. And the more liquid they are, that means the more easily you can get something. Because it is quite valuable if you're, you know, let's say you are paid in, 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 in Bitcoin or Ether or, or XRP, but you know you have to pay taxes. And it's like, okay, I got it, but I want to convert it right away so I don't have that risk of paying more taxes than I actually got you know, a month from now. Um, so uh, if you have very liquid markets and lots of exchanges... XRP, for example, trades on about 200 exchanges, uh, then that's that's going to be a very, very important thing. Got it. Uh, now, I am curious, what are the different use, use cases for various cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin, XRP, Dogecoin? What makes them different from each other? Well, that's a really great question because a lot of discussion about, oh, what was that made for? What was this made for? Frankly, they're all, in my opinion, they're all the same. Every cryptocurrency has exactly the same uh, fundamental utility as being a medium of exchange, a store of value. Uh, those are the, really the key things. Now, there, there have been some cryptocurrencies created, like Filecoin, that, you know, well, you can use this coin uh, to be a replacement for AWS at Amazon. Okay, sounds good. But again, um, that's kind of weird. You don't have that concept of fiat. Imagine like, the, oh, we made the euro. And the euro can only be used to, you know, buy train tickets. Well, no. Uh, you know, again, a, a currency of any kind, fiat or crypto, is valuable. Again, valuable is different than price when it can be used for more things. So more utility, more use cases equals more liquidity equals more valuable. Um, and that's the key thing, I think, to look out for. Uh, so I think any crypto that says, oh, we're the crypto for this, that's the wrong way to think about it. And I would probably steer clear of anything like that. So you could basically just say it's just a market that is just competing with each other people. They have the same product, right? The same idea. It's just they all think they're kind of special in their own way and they're just competing to get more consumers or more businesses, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, the cryptocurrency world is tribal, you know, and each tribe, the Bitcoin tribe, hates all the other tribes and the Ethereum tribe hates all the other tribes. XRP tribe hates every. I mean, I don't, I'm not talking about myself. I don't hate anybody, but, but it is very tribal, unfortunately, or maybe, maybe fortunately, I don't, it's, it's incredibly competitive. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation. It's the wild, it's still the wild west, right? These are generally pretty unregulated markets. They're becoming more regulated and that's good. We need more regulation, we need more regulatory clarity. But I think there's a lot of nonsense talk out there uh, about, you know, what this is used for, what that's used for. Bottom line is they're all in the same category, um, and that's fine. I think you will you will absolutely have, you know, I'll, I'll venture to say a, a, a top ten or top twenty, you know, in twenty five years 
cryptocurrencies that exist in the world, just like you have multiple fiat currencies that exist in the world. They all have different, you know, kind of uh, risk profiles. They have different features. Um, you know, but the technologies, they, you know, they fundamentally work, right? I mean, you know, a lot of the Bitcoin people try to say, oh, you know, I have to be proof of work. That's the only thing that matters. Well, that's total nonsense. I mean, you've had proof of stake and you've had federated consensus now operating for almost a decade. You know, yeah. XRP ledgers, you know, closed 60 million plus ledgers in the last nine years. You know, it, it, it's not been broken. So you don't need things like specific types of consensus mechanisms that are better than others. They just, they're different. Um uh, and I would, you know, I'll, I'll get my opinion on it. I think proof of work really needs to be retired uh, because of its incredible energy usage. We are, we are in a climate crisis here. This is a war to prevent us from going over the edge here. Yeah. And we got to do everything, not just going green with everything, but switching, you know, high energy use things that can be easily switched to low energy use things. You got to do that, right? So this idea that Bitcoin is, Chewing up between seven, you know, in the last six months, anywhere between 70 and 140 trillion watt hours of energy. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, and when it can just do a damn code change and it would be down to the equivalent of, you know, 50 US households. Mm-hmm. Um, Ethereum's doing that. They get a lot of credit for that. They haven't done it yet, but they're in the process. And uh, Bitcoin's got to do that. It just has to do that. So, um, anyway, that's. Got it. Got it. Cool. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, So now I kind of want to understand the mechanics of cryptocurrencies. How does a cryptocurrency transaction work, such as Bitcoin, for example? Yeah. So, uh, you know, you kind of look at it as, you know, you have these blocks, right? So in every block is basically uh, kind of a a state, you know, it's like this, uh, the little ledger, which keeps, you know, it's a ledger that keeps track of who owns what you know, in, in these addresses or uh, not accounts, but addresses. And, and there's some subtle differences, right? Uh, Bitcoin does not have a concept of accounts, XRP ledger, uh, Ethereum do. Um, but nonetheless, they, they all work on a similar idea of a ledger that holds a state. Um, and then of course, every time there's a spend from somebody who owns some of it, well, that's a change in state. So now how do we agree that that new state uh, is accurate. And in the case of something like Bitcoin, they're using uh, a proof of work mechanism where uh, so-called quote unquote miners, they're not, they're not mining for gold or uh, they're mining for rewards of Bitcoin. Um, if they can, you know, kind of help out in the process of validating the new state. And that's essentially how all of these systems work with the exception of um, you don't need mining to do that. And where Ethereum's going, that will be a proof of stake system where uh, people will actually stake or deposit their Ethereum uh, coins. Uh, they'll earn rewards on that if they're part of the, the process of validating the new state when there's transactions that have been spent from the last state. And uh, similarly on the XRP ledger where you have, instead of, Staking, you have federated consensus where validators uh, are validating the current state and, and there's no rewards. So there's no staking rewards, there's no mining rewards, which we, we believe is an advantage uh, because then all that liquidity doesn't have to get chewed up into 
into rewards, you can go into the ecosystem. Um, but as long as you have kind of a negotiated understanding of the new state from you know 80% of the validators, you roll forward and there's a new state. So that's how all these things work. And again, the important thing there is that there was no central law, there was no PayPal. PayPal, it's uh, you know, PayPal is singularly responsible for you know determining the new state of the PayPal uh, ledger of all the accounts that that they manage. That's just a fundamentally different way of doing it. Not not always bad, by the way. Sometimes a centralized database in certain applications is actually more efficient, right? But in yeah. in case of uh, making sure you don't have an issuer or a counterparty, well, you have to do it in uh, the way that uh, cryptocurrencies are, are are doing it. Got it. Now, um, so this leads me to my next question. I'm kind of curious on the technology powering cryptocurrency transactions. You know, we talked about a little bit earlier the idea of a blockchain. So I'm curious, uh, what is and how do blockchains work? Yeah, so, um, you know, you don't need... Uh, the, so the pure idea of a blockchain, blockchain is a word that has kind of been twisted a little bit, right? So the, the entire cryptocurrency industry, uh, sometimes called the blockchain, you know, industry, um, so that kind of is what it is, but uh, that's really not accurate, right? Things like Bitcoin use a blockchain concept where, um, you know, there's kind of a chain of states that have existed and you're sort of, you carry around that history of states as sort of proof of the, you know, uh, what's happened through, uh, through time. Um, that's interesting, but it actually gets pretty bulky, right? So someone's got to carry that around. Um, you, you don't have to do it that way. Uh, in the XRP ledger, you're just uh, deciding the current state, period. And then you sort of move on. And well, you might say, well, then well, how, do you do the, how do you know the history of it? Well, you can easily uh, save those, you know, kind of all the historic uh, states. And in fact, you know, uh, tons and tons of uh, institutions, individuals, entities, do just that. So um, you end up with the same difference. Um, but in, in the validation process, you don't have to be carrying it all you know, around with you everywhere and kind of revalidating this long chain of history. You just don't have to do it that way. So so again, it's just a, it's just a technology choice. Again, Bitcoin was sort of first. It was brilliant. But I think some of the later protocols saw what Bitcoin was and said, oh, this, some of this is genius. Oh my God, this is amazing. It's total breakthrough. And then some of it was kind of a head scratch. And it's like, hmm, you know what? There's a better way of doing this, right? So, and in, in fact, right now, probably the, well, I'd say easily the majority of the market cap, include that uh, Ethereum switch over to proof of stake, the majority of cryptocurrencies don't use that concept of, of blocks um, or um, of proof of work. And that's a good thing. So I think. Uh, a lot of the um, misunderstanding of the industry is somehow everything is a blockchain and everything is proof of work and everything consumes tons of energy. Um, it's not true. But the majority of it is sort of not, not really a blockchain and uh, is very energy efficient. And these sort of, So you have sort of the green crypto and you have sort of the dirty crypto from kind of long ago. Hopefully everything's going to switch over. You know, Ethereum switching is a big deal. Uh, if, if and by the way, Dogecoin also needs to switch. That's also proof of work, right? So uh, if you got Bitcoin to switch and Doge to switch, you actually wouldn't have 
a proof of work system, you wouldn't really have a that notion of a blockchain anymore. Got it. So could you describe a blockchain to be like a ledger, right? As new data, which would be transactions, they come in, then the data is then entered into a fresh block, right? Since a blockchain's made of different or made of multiple blocks. And then once the block is filled with data, it is chained onto the previous block. And then it's chained together in chronological order. Is that correct? And the blonde blockchain will store all this data and is this this is for verification of transactions, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, that's really uh, that's the line share. What happens in in, uh, in crypto uh, is you're just validating, um, you know, the current state. And again, the thing's changing all the time because people, of course, are sending it, they're spending it, they're trading it, staking it, um, and that's going to mean that that value is going from one uh, address to another address, right? Um, so very simple. But now, how do you how do you validate that with without an individual? you know, kind of where, you know, an accountant with the green, you know, shades and all that, you know, validating it, right? That's the way it would work in, in uh, pre-crypto world. Um, so, but again, you don't need to have that long chain that you're carrying around. So rather than using chain or blockchain, again, that's really Bitcoin speak. And again, the industry is really, a, it's a big, you know, there's literally 10,000 now cryptos right out there. Uh, and there you go. Yeah, it's huge, right? Uh, and, and of course, and then you're getting all the DeFi stuff, you know, the NFTs. I mean, this thing is, uh, you know, the, the uh, central bank digital currencies. Um, uh, it is a very robust industry. So rather than just talking about blocks, I might want to just talk about current state. You know, what's the current state? Because uh, as long as the current state is accurate, and uh, you can keep rolling forward, and you have a viable system that's not broken, and you don't get double spends. Got it. So I know I know many people in finance or crypto may know what Bitcoin, right, and XRP are. However, they still are wondering what are the many factors that people should understand before getting involved. So I am curious if you could help me explain what are some recent developments in crypto that are important for people to understand before they start entering the crypto space. And I think one of the most asked about questions from my guest was, you know, X, XRP, is it really decentralized? I've been hearing both sides. It's not. It's, it is. So I'm curious if you could... Elaborate more on that. Yeah, no, it absolutely is, is decentralized. Um, yeah, I think there was uh, a lot of misinformation. Again, this is a tribal industry. So, you know, look, the Bitcoin people try to, especially, especially I'd say in the earlier days, you know, I mean, it was like uh, out and out war sometimes, um, try to frame your enemies in certain ways, I, I guess. Um, but bottom line is, look, if uh, Ripple, the company, went away t- today, the XRP ledger keeps cranking forward. It isn't affected at all, right? It's no different than if uh, Consensus, which is a company that supports the Ethereum network, uh, started by Joe Lubin, one of the founders of Ethereum, good guy. Um, no different than if uh, Consensus went away tomorrow, the Ethereum uh, crypto and, and distributed ledger continues to move forward. No different from uh, look at the core developers at, at Bitcoin, uh, you know, um, ended tomorrow, uh, it would continue, it would continue moving forward, right? Uh, and you see that with uh, China cracking down on Bitcoin miners, you know, they've gone from like 65% of the miners in China, maybe a month ago, down to about 45%, pretty dramatic change because of that crackdown. Um, just keeps moving forward though, right? So, you know, that's, that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, 
uh, Ripple runs some validators, but it's in the single digits of public validators, not even counting the, the private validators uh, that uh, also uh, validate the ledger and the state of the ledger. So yeah, it's just bunk that uh, anybody would call XRP ledger uh, centralized. If anybody who calls it that just doesn't know what they're talking about. And it's easy to, super easy to validate what I just said. Um, you know, it's, it's open source. Uh, the ledger is public, uh, you know, so anybody can build on it. Uh, so yeah, we just need to move beyond the, the nonsense and focus on what things really are. Great. Now I do have two more questions before we end today's episode. And the second to last one I'm really curious is about. Now, this was probably the most popular question that I got from eight to like eighth graders to like tenth graders. And they wanted to get your opinion and your thoughts on this whole idea of Dogecoin and this idea of going to the moon. I think Elon Musk is a big fan of this cryptocurrency. So I was curious, uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, crypto? Yeah. Boy, Elon. Uh, look, love Elon. I'm an investor in SpaceX and through another fund. Uh, love what they're doing there. And he's done more for you know climate change as far as building the first successful EV company than anybody on Earth. Right? So that's all great stuff. Um, his participation in crypto has been weird, though. right? It's almost... Um, kind of iffy, kind of iffy. Yeah, kind of haphazard, right? I mean, he went super big on Bitcoin and then he, man, he just bailed on him. I think you'd be able to for the right reasons, but it's like, whoa. So if you were a Bitcoin, you know, maximalist, you're going to be feeling pretty bad about that, right? Yeah. You know, same thing could happen to Dogecoin like tomorrow, right? So who knows, right? So that's one thing to watch out for. I think when it comes to Doge, Doge was started as a joke, I think. It's I know. Yeah, it was a meme. It was a meme. Right? I mean, it was almost to try to make fun of the crypto industry by its founders who are no longer part of it, right? Um, and you know, it's an unlimited supply. It's also a proof of work system, which is bad from energy, although it doesn't, it doesn't use, you know, anything close to what Bitcoin does, but nonetheless, it's still proof of work. Um, you know, and you know, if you're, look, if you're getting involved with Doge because of the to the moon thing and Elon, just realize you are you were gambling. There's no different from, than that than going to Vegas. And well, other than I guess your listeners, maybe they can't go to Vegas yet, but you're gambling, plain and simple. Uh, and most people that gamble lose all their money. Uh, a few of them make a ton of money. That's just the reality. So uh, I think that's the way you need to look at it. Great. Now, the last question I wanted to ask was, you know, all the to a follow up to all those ideas we just talked about of crypto. Could you explain to our younger audience how someone could get involved in crypto and start investing in cryptocurrencies? Yeah, you know, I think uh, number one, anybody that's looking at the space, you got to realize it's uh, still pretty nascent, although it is big, um, but it's it's still new. Um, it's not well regulated still. So, you know, it's a little bit still wild west. These things trade 24 seven, you know, 365 days a year, which can be fascinating, can be also exhausting. Stock markets close, you know, for example, bond markets close, commodity markets close. Um, but like all currency markets, they're 24 seven and, and much more accessible to people than, than a lot of the currency market, uh, fiat currency markets, by the way. So that's sort of good, but it's also, um, you got to be careful, right? Um, so I think that the way to start is anything you are putting in there, 
it's any, it's something you can lose. You know, the, the, look at it that way, you know, and look at it as a way of learning. Um, and try to do extensive research and try not to get too caught up in the just nonstop. I mean, the amount of garbage media in this space is just unbelievable, right? Just so many sites that are, you know, clickbait sites that the more sensational, the more made up, you know, the better. And that can take you down a rabbit hole. So I'd, I'd say try to try to find some reputable sites that you can, uh, you know, kind of dive into. And there's a lot of really good quality stuff out there, uh, you know, on, on writing. Try to understand, though, when it, the writer is clearly a, you know, I would say almost religious about it. If they're religious about it, I mean, like, this is finance, not religion. And sometimes people talk about, I, I remember... I got somebody talking about Bitcoin mining and the idea that they would switch, ever switch. They called that quote unquote heresy, heresy. I'm thinking, come on, heresy. That's a word you use in religion, not in finance. So, and, but it's true. There's a lot of people in crypto that are just, uh, they are so committed to their uh, tribe that uh, it's very hard to, to discern anything that's sort of rational and pragmatic and, and finance is ultimately a rational, pragmatic endeavor. The people that do well are very data-driven. They're rational. They understand complex, the complexity of these things and, and try to get rid of the emotion. People who do get involved in finance with their emotions, they end up losing all their money, right? So I think that's uh, the way to try to approach it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Larson, for sharing your wisdom. And with the next generation of business leaders, I am sure our audience expanded their knowledge of entrepreneurship and the in the world of cryptocurrency. It was a pleasure hearing your journey. Well, thank you so much, Logan. I really appreciate it. And congratulations on the, on the great podcast. It's uh, really great to see. Thank you so much. All right, you amazing people. That is all we have for you today. If you are loving the show, please go ahead and follow us on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. You can get in touch with us on Instagram at the underscore finance underscore podcast. You can also reach us by email at the.finance.podcast at gmail.com where you can send us your questions and be featured in the podcast. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you again next time.